I can't get enough. Got a space in my tackle box, just got to fill it up. More love, I can't ever stop. Don't got a basement, got an underground tackle shop. I am Lucy, the Lorematic computer. Welcome to the Lure Love Podcast with your hosts, John, Crappy Hippie King, and Tim, Tacklebox Beat. Happy Valentine's Day, Lucy. Valentine's Day is a very strange holiday, Tim. What makes you say that, Lucy? Well, you give each other cards and candy, and other gifts to commemorate St. Valentine. And? St. Valentine of Rome was martyred on February 14th in the year 269. The Feast of St. Valentine also known as St. Valentine's Day, was established by Pope Colossius I, in the year 496, in honor of the Christian martyr. So what? You celebrate that St. Valentine was beaten with clubs, beheaded, and thrown in a shallow grave, by giving each other chocolates. You make it sound weird. Yeah, Lucy, come on. Valentine's Day is about love, baby, love. And we're going to celebrate in this episode with lots of Valentine-related fishing lures. I hope you don't plan to beat your lures with a club and cut off their heads. That would be a waste of some perfectly good lures. What? We would never do that. But we would like to discuss romantic lure gifts, heart-shaped lures, and some other great stuff. That sounds like fun. In fact, if you would like, I could share a love poem I recently wrote about lures. You write poetry? Well, not technically. What I actually do is find love poems on the internet and edit them, so they are about fishing lures. It just seems like the right thing to do. Uh, Would you care to share an example? I assume you know the poem, How Do I Love Thee? By Elizabeth Barrett Browning. I sure do. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight. That's the one. Lures weren't mentioned once in the entire poem. Can you believe it? So I changed the poem everywhere it is found on the internet. Here is the new version. You can read it, Tim. Okay, here it goes. How do I love lures? Let me count the ways. I love lures to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when fishes always bite. For the end of being an ideal day, I love lures even when I have to pay, snagged in the weeds when lunkers really fight. I love lures freely, colors always bright. I love lures purely. It will not change my ways. I love lures. I once hooked a huge moose in my old briefs. In finesse baits, I have faith. (laughs) You hooked a moose in your briefs? (laughs) I love lures, though lures I seem to lose. With my lost baits, I love lures with each breath. Smiles, tears of all my snags. And if God choose, I shall love lures better after death. Wow. After death, in the big bass pro shops in the sky. You know, I never really liked that poem until now. I revised all the high school textbooks, too. Now teenagers will get a much more useful education. I found that poem quite moving, Lucy. Especially the part about hooking a moose in my briefs. Lucy, you such artistry. Thanks, guys. I still have thousands of poems to edit, but at least I'm off to a good start. Well, John, have you decided what you're doing for Valentine's Day this year? Oh, I got a few ideas. Okay, let's hear them. And I will offer my appraisal, so you can't go wrong. Well, 
I was thinking she needed a seven-foot zero-gravity panfish rod. Does Kathy like to fish? Well, no, not really. You've been buzzed. That sounds more like a gift for you than for Kathy. Oh, well, I guess, but I thought she could appreciate the beauty and the action of the rod before she let me borrow it. As in borrow it forever? <laughs> Bro the nose. Deleted. Next gift idea, please. Okay, okay. Well, then how about some new Carhartt insulated coveralls? Those would be so comfortable. In what size? I think an extra large men's ought to do it. Kathy wears an extra large men's? No, heck no. She wears like a small women's or something. So what was your plan? To share the coveralls? We maybe something like that. Crappy hippie, you are so busted. Okay, a new flay knife then. A trucker's cap? A fly fishing vest. A new pair of hemostats. A spool of spider wire. New H Janeel. A Fishner's Who Rag, a Whopper Plopper, a Nicole Stone signature tackle box, a jug of catfish dip. I don't believe Lucy thinks much of your choices here, John. No, I do not. John, you are like Homer Simpson when he gave Marge a bowling ball for her birthday. It would serve you right if Kathy took one of your so-called gifts out for a fishing session and ended up meeting someone at the fishing hole, just like Marge did at the bowling alley. Whoa, bro. I think you are sliding downhill in terms of Lucy's opinion of your romantic man skills. Yeah, I see what you mean. Right, 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 right. Here, here, well, here's the best one ever. I am almost afraid to ask. Boots. New boots, Lucy, and in her exact size and everything. Hmm, that could be all right. I'm searching online records of Kathy's retail buying habits. She does enjoy cowboy boots, red wing setters, and other attractive functional foot coverings when she finds them at sales or at the thrift store. Those are great fun and outdoorsy, too. Well, <laughs> I didn't exactly get her those kind of boots. Oh, dear. Okay, what did you get her? Hip boots. Hip boots? Oh, crappy hippie. Not hip boots. So what did you get her? Some Sims? Oh, you nailed it, Tim. But you said Kathy doesn't fish. They ain't for fishing. You buy her some of the finest fly fishing wading boots made, but she's not going to take them out? What is she going to do with them? I sort of figured she might enjoy wearing them around the house. Around the house? Well, heck yeah, she's cute as a bug in fishing gear. And it's okay to pretend sometimes. She'd be the sweet girl that I met streamside, who outfished me and then lured me home. Get it? <laughs> and of course, <clears throat> if she does have to fix the sump pump or shovel some manure or something like that, she's going to have the perfect gear to stay neat and tidy. Crappy hippie, you are hopeless. Poor Kathy. Oh, heck, Lucy, you know I'm just joshing. Kathy would never let me get away with giving her hip boots. She's got more going for her than that. What we actually do is keep it simple. I make her a card every year, and she sends me a song that expresses the gentle depths of her love. Last year, she sent me this. Now that's love. Kathy Yelland is the first lady of grunge. I guess I should have had more faith in you, John, and in Kathy. It's no shame, Lucy. No matter how smart you get or how much data you collect, you will never understand romance. Crappy Hippie and I have been at it for over 40 years without any firm conclusions. But bromance, on the other hand, is easy. 
So the only lure I'm giving my pod bro on this special day is a hellbender, dude. It's the deep diver with the heart-shaped dive plane. Oh, wow. This is a great white and glitter 900 series. Like the one you caught all those Lakers on at God's Lake when you were a teenager, right? Oh, it's not like it, Tim. It's the very lure. I love you, man. John, I'm honored. You are the king. How do you two do it? You found a way to make a line of lures with hell in the name an appropriate topic for our Valentine's show. While we wait for John and Tim to get done with their bro embraces, let's listen to some KLUR radio. Good evening, everyone. This is Buck Straw, broadcasting live from Sherman, Texas, just south of Lake Texoma, on KLUR, KLUR, Lure History Radio. The year is 1946, and we have a good old band of young fellers who are scattering musical stars across our southwestern nights. Please give a listen to Jody and the Whopper Stoppers with their love-struck melody, My Little Hellbender. Hello, this is Crappie Hippie, your host tonight on KLUR, Lure History Radio. Now, there are many lures that have heart-shaped diving lips. There was the Creek Chub Crawdad, number 300 from the early 1900s, and the Creek Chub Crazy Fish from the 60s and 70s. Both of these had heart-shaped metal lips. And there's the Marshall Hart Salmon Plug from the 40s that has a heart-shaped lip cut into the head of the wooden plug. It is very cool, especially when it's painted red. But the one we want to focus on today is the history of the Hellbender, a vintage lure that is still being sold today. You can buy them at Cabela's, Bass Pro Shop, or your other favorite lure outlet. The story of the Hellbender actually began with the story of the Bomber. The Bomber Bait Company started in Gainesville, Texas, and was best known for the original Bomber lure. You can read the Bomber history over at mybaitshop.com, and we'll drop a link in the show notes. In the early 1940s, Clarence Turby Turbeville and Ike Walker loved fishing the Creek Chub Crawdad, which we already mentioned had a heart-shaped diving lip. But they wanted a lure that would dive deeper than that one, And so they invented the original bomber lure. The shape of the bomber is probably best described as an elongated football with two treble hooks. The eye of the wooden lure is at the back end, not the front end. And the diving plane comes straight out of the front and includes a metal line tie. The original bomber came in five sizes from two and a half to four inches and a huge number of color combinations. Now, over in Sherman, Texas... Fred Adder noticed that people liked the bomber a whole lot, and with his partners, he started making the wooden whopper stopper lures in 1945. By 1950, the lures being made out of plastic, thanks to the genius of shop foreman Jody Griggs. Griggs would carve a wooden lure and then use it to make plastic molds. Now, the original whopper stopper looks similar to the original bomber, while the whopper stopper hellbender was longer, and it had two segments almost like you had added a head to the original version. It also had a silver blade that hung off of its tail. Now, I I wonder why they called it the Hellbender. Allow me to shed a little light on the name Hellbender. The Hellbender salamander is a species of aquatic giant salamander endemic to the eastern and central United States. It is the largest salamander in North America. A member of the family Cryptobranchidae, the Hellbender is the only extant member of the genus Cryptobranchus. It is one big honking salamander, and the hellbender lore mimics it in a loose way. 
The Hellbender was a deep runner, but a floater at rest. It came in four sizes and 41 different finishes and can dive from eight to 35 feet and could be fished in fresh or salt water. The dive depth depended on the model and it could be trolled, of course. But the Hellbender wasn't just a deep diver. It was also a steep diver. And because of its steep descent and the large heart-shaped lip, it didn't snag very easily. It was great for fishing either sloped shorelines or really steep drop-offs. And when it hit the bottom, it rooted in the mud like a salamander, like a hellbender. The Plastic Research and Development Corporation of Fort Smith, Arkansas, also known as Pradco, bought the Hedden Company in 1983 and then bought Whopper Stopper in 1984. Today, it's called the Hedden Hellbender, and you can still buy it as the Hedden Magnum Hellbender, which is five and a half inches long and weighs seven eighths of an ounce. That unique heart-shaped diving lip gives the Magnum Hellbender its tempting, wide-wobbling action, and the oversized lip design allows the lure to flip over structure that other lures would likely hang up on. It is a great lure for largemouth and stripers and even pike or muskies. Oh, man, is it ever? I'll tell you one thing. Talk about memories. I think it was nine years old when I caught my first pike here in Kansas, uh, right after they had the little pike stocking experiment uh, back there in the early 70s. And, yep, I caught it on my favorite white with glitter hellbender. But you can also buy a Hellbender Magnum downrigger lure, which is a lure without hooks. Now, this is really cool, Tim. It's known as a poor man's downrigger. If you tie a 10 to 20 foot uh, trailer behind the Hellbender Magnum downrigger, you can get a bait down to more than 75 feet, according to the specs. Now, that is a super deep dive without having to use a downrigger. And John, I've watched some videos of people doing this. And one of the techniques, even trolling in a kayak, and what they do is where that front treble hook would be, they put on a, a weight to it, maybe a half ounce to an ounce, and then they tie that leader to the back of it. And so with that added weight, even from a kayak, they can get down to catch white bass or stripers. Sometimes they're using a small flutter spoon behind it, or sometimes they're using a, a jig almost like some of the, the angle king jigs that you create. So really interesting technique. I had not thought of that before, but it's hard if you're trying to get down 35 feet into a school of fish, especially if you're in a kayak. So in these pedal kayaks, they can pull this behind them and get down to that depth pretty quickly. Oh man, I want to, uh, Charlie, are you listening to this? Maybe we can get some lighter line and uh, get the real slop a on those Lakers by using this technique. <laughs> it would be much better than trying to reel in all of that lead core. You can also find a lot of the vintage Whopper Stopper lures still on eBay. So if you want to fish one of the originals, and I have a few of those in my tackle box, you can just go into eBay and, and search, and they're really not that expensive. Oh, I intend to do that. And right away, Tim, because I've got to get a few more for my tackle box. Just doing this story brought up all the old memories and all the hellbender love that I've felt over the years. It remains one of my favorite lures. It was a go-to ever since I could, you know, first started using a heavier rod. Uh, like a heavy spinning rod and learning to use a casting rod and it will always have a place in my heart so thanks for that tip well that's tonight's show happy valentine's in advance from us at klur radio klur where we flash wobble and roll humans get married do they not that's right lucy you really beat the odds what do you mean well what are the odds that each of you would find someone willing to marry you? The best catch of my life. Me too. Aw, don't make me cry. 
I'll short circuit myself. Some of our listeners may be thinking about getting married, and I have a great gift idea for them. Do tell. If you're getting married and you're looking for the perfect gift for your bridesmaids and groomsmen, how about custom fishing lures that include messages on one side, such as groom or best man or father of the groom or mother of the groom? And if you need a gift for the person presiding at the wedding ceremony, how about a lure that says, officiant on it. That's pretty clever. And on the other side of each of these lures, you can add a person's name and the wedding date. Some of the lures have messages such as, I hooked the best father-in-law or hooked for life. Those sound very romantic, even to a supercomputer. Lucy, you need to check out Promo Lures on Etsy, a company owned by lure artist Matt Carmardelli, who lives on Cape Cod in Massachusetts, pretty near the Cape Cod Canal. He might be a bit of a canal rat, which is the name they give to people who stock those huge stripers in the canal. But this guy is really an artist. I have a few of Matt's lures. I have one that has my initials on one side and the Fish Nerds podcast logo on the other side. And then I have another that has the Lure Love podcast logo on one side. And now on the other side, it has the logo for the Association of Great Lakes Outdoor Writers. He sent me that one after I won an award in their annual craft contest. And you can get these lures packaged in beautiful boxes as well. I have to say, Matt is a true artist when it comes to hand painting these gift lures. They're all crankbaits, baits, in many different sizes. They are gorgeous. And I have them prominently displayed in my office. His attention to detail is incredible. He has a lot of different lure blanks to choose from. And he really does it on a custom basis. You can order things straight off of his website, just the way you see them. But if you want different colors, you want your school colors or something else, he's happy to do it. He can make any of the lures as a keychain too. So I have a keychain because John, you do not want to take one that has two treble hooks and put it in your pocket and sit down. Let me tell you that from experience. Hey, I must've done that 20 times. Then I got smart. But these lures are one of the nicest gifts I have ever received. They look good online, but when you see the attention to detail in person, they're just amazing. So, hey, Lucy, why don't you go to the Etsy shop and read us a few of the customer comments and reviews? I just went to Matt's Etsy shop, and all I can say is, wow, these lures are beautiful. Here are a few of the reviews his customers left. Love this item. We asked our friend to officiate our wedding and use this because he loves to fish. It was a total hit. And the quality of the item is phenomenal. And I had a custom lure made to announce to my husband he's going to be a daddy and I couldn't have asked for a better lure. It came out beautiful, and hubby loved it. Is she talking about the baby or the lure? I assume they were both beautiful, and her husband loves both of them. Here's one final review. I'm absolutely impressed with how this lure came out. I couldn't be more thrilled to give this to my boyfriend for Valentine's Day. Yep. Matt sells lures for Valentine's Day gifts too, as well as birthdays, retirements, and other occasions. He even has a memorial lure that says gone fishing on one side with a person's name and the dates they lived on the other side that I thought was very touching. What what a commemorative thing to, to remember your loved ones. Absolutely. I think it's amazing. Promo Lures will custom paint and personalize fishing lures for any occasion, any way you want. So contact Matt and start working on your project. I will post some of the photos of my lures in the show notes, as well as a link to Matt's Etsy shop. You will not believe the lures when you see them.
I've read that beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. Is there really no algorithm to detect beauty? I don't know of one. Do you, Tim? Nope, I've never heard of one. Then I must deduce that there is also no algorithm to predict love, correct? That's right. Love is in the eyes of the beholder, too, I guess. Excellent. Then we need to discuss how fish see lures. Because it is obvious that whether a fish loves a lure is in their eyes, and if it is in their eyes, then how well a fish can see a lure is extremely important. That's a very scientific way of looking at it, Lucy. I have been using the Bass Vision app recently, and I'm intrigued by what I have learned. I love that app. Unfortunately, the company that made the app, Bass Insight, is closing down, and I'm disappointed because I just found them and the app. Dr. Becky Fuller was the company's president and has some impressive credentials. She is a professor in the Department of Animal Biology, School of Integrative Biology, at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Dr. Fuller completed her doctorate and postdoctoral position in biology at Florida State University. Her research interests include ecology and evolution as it applies to fishes. Their goal is to take what they learned in the lab and bring that technology to anglers of all experience levels, especially regarding fish visual acuity. That's what fish actually see, not what we think that they see. And so the app shows how fish are actually seeing fishing lures. The app is called Bass Vision. And it simulates what bass see when you put a lure in front of them in varying conditions. I don't know how long the app will be in the Apple App Store and other app stores. So I highly recommend that you get it as soon as possible. It's free and it will blow your mind. Wow, I'm going to get that right after the show. But clue me in on what the app actually does. John, the app gives anglers the ability to visualize their lures through the eyes of a fish, specifically a bass. App users can determine which lures are most visible to fish under various conditions. Variables include water clarity, depth, background, time of day, distance to the lure, and lure color. Variables can be changed and combined to optimize lure detectability in your fishing conditions. Wow, that's a lot of variables. If you consider six variables a lot of variables, then yes, it is a lot of variables. The app also provides a real-time visualizer to allow anglers to view lures instantaneously by taking a photo of the actual lures they are using. What I like about the app is that it already comes with more than 75 lures in the digital tackle box, and it gives you the option of seeing a lure through the eyes of both bass and humans, so you can toggle back and forth between the way a human would see it and a bass would see it. As a supercomputer, I have always had that ability. Plus, I can see lure color through the eyes of 54 other animal species. Okay, so give me an example of what the app might actually show you. Well, one thing that immediately rises to the surface is that in muddy and stained water, contrast is more important than color because a lot of the colors look the same. It's kind of like if you're looking at a really filthy, dirty window that's just, you know, smeared with dirt. You can see things outside, but all the colors are muted and the shapes tend to run together. Well, that reminds me, Kathy wants me to wash the windows in Glasswater headquarters. For scientific purposes, you should hang lures outside your windows and notice your perception of them as you clean each window. Well, I have been putting that off for about a month now, and uh, but since there's research involved, I'm going to get on it this afternoon. I will suggest to Kathy that all your future chores be explained in a manner that involves lure research. Hmm. 
Hey, Tim, sounds like I may be doing a lot more chores. Happy wife, happy life. Okay, bro. So what else did you learn from the app? Another thing is that fluorescent lures often don't look fluorescent in deeper stained water, but they do have greater contrast. So bass may see a fluorescent lure better when you're fishing deep or in stained water. No, I, I agree with that. I don't care if it's bass. I don't care if it's trout. I don't care if it's, you know, crappies. I don't care. You throw a fluorescent lure. A lot of times that, that sort of shocking ability to transmit so much light compared to a standard color it's easier to see. I mean, it's easier for bass to see. I'm not saying bass vision and human vision are the same, but everybody kind of gets cranked up when they see certain fluorescents, especially pink, especially yellow, especially green. So you put a fluorescent stripe on the back of a jacket or you give somebody a fluorescent vest to wear for safety because, you know, we're like bass too, you know, that we kind of draw to that sudden burst of, of color, that sudden burst of light that stands out from everything, you know, quote unquote natural. And sometimes, John, when we look at like our fluorescent orange or fluorescent green, we look at it and we think, well, there's no bait in there that color. But when you get into the stained and dirty water, it doesn't look that way anymore. It just stands out. So it's at that point, it is mimicking the other fish that are down there. That's the difference between seeing it up in, you know, in a boat or on the side of the stream or lake and looking at it in your hand and looking at it when it's 30 feet down. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll tell you another thing is that when you have a super bright color emanating off a lure, your black, brown, whatever, your dark contrasts are going to pop more because the, the positive, the bright is, is going more. And so the contrast is going to be deeper and greater. So there are some things about fluorescent lures that make them very appealing, very interesting. If you fish in very clear water, in open water, where there's not a dark background behind your lure, like a background of green plants or brown sand or something like that, and the lure is fish shallow, and the fish is seeing it up close, then the lure is going to appear more like it does out of the water. But for me, I rarely fish in such optimal conditions. In the Midwest, there's a lot of muddy water, of stained water, or just debris flowing in the water, even when it's clearer. So for example, a color like pumpkin green might not look much different than black or dark brown to a bass. That is quite true. Now, most fish are possessed of a different rod cone ratio than a human being. And thus, compared to us, uh, their color range is generally not as broad. So sometimes having colors come through super loud can make a big difference. I had the pleasure of interviewing outdoor pro and science writer Nicole Stone for Fish Nerds episode 249. And she filled us in on walleye perception. While fish see color, a wavelength like blue may not mean a whole lot because they have few cones in that range. On the other hand, humans love the color blue, are very stimulated by it, and buy a lot of blue or blue-accented lures. Now comes the nerd-out argument. Does that blue have anything to do with why fish hit my lure, or am I fishing it because I like the color blue, and so am using the bug better and more often? That is one of the great philosophical questions of our day, John, and will probably never be answered, but we will buy more blue lures just to test it out. The last thing I noticed in the app is that if the water you're fishing is stained, there are depths at which there is just not enough light for bass to see the lures at all. And that can be as shallow as 10 feet, depending on the water color. So you could be wasting your time fishing a lure deep in really stained, muddy water because the fish are not going to see it no matter what color it is, no matter how you're fishing it, unless it's right on top of their nose. But there are depths at which bass can see color that humans can't. That's why the app includes the button to toggle between the bass vision and the human vision. 
I love that. Uh, I was kind of fiddling. Sorry, man. I was kind of fiddling with it while you were talking, but that is a great feature on the app. Uh, I think we need to narrow that down to wasting your time worrying much about color, though, if, if I may. I mean, the Lord provides, Tim, and our fishy friends have a whole world of other ways to make sense of their surroundings. This is where we veer off into noise and vibration and how fish don't need eyesight to find food and so forth would be a good upgrade for that app. But yeah, we're not talking about that right now. You're exactly right, John. This app is just dealing with vision and there are all those other things when you have a vibrating bait because fish are going to eat even if the water's muddy, even if it's stained, it's just harder for them to find where that meal is coming from. The app also includes some excellent information such as colors like chartreuse appear yellowish greenish to humans, but probably look like a very bright white to a bass. So the key there is it's not just white. The chartreuse might be a brighter white than just what a white lure is. You know, we got to resist the fairy tale urge to equate mental images in a fish with those of a human. That's exactly what Dr. Fuller is talking about. It ain't no use unless it's chartreuse is a saying for a reason. Chartreuse pops. Fish love to hit it. So whatever's going on there, Tim, chartreuse hits the buzzer for a lot of fish species. Perhaps we should get Dr. Fuller on the podcast to discuss her research in more detail. I see that she wrote a paper titled, Seeing Red, Color Vision in Largemouth Bass. And another titled, Fish and Robot Dancing Together, Bluefin Killifish Females Respond Differently to the Courtship of a Robot with Varying Color Morphs. Well, I hope there is a video because I'm all about fish robot dancing. In fact, I do a pretty good robot myself. I request you move your booty in a circular motion, please. Shake, 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 shake your booty. Do you think that is the way I talk? Oh, goodness, no, my geometric friend. You have a lovely voice with nuances that grow more complex all the time. That was just some robot voice I learned from cartoons I watched when I was a kid. Oh, good. You had me worried for a moment. I'll reach out to Dr. Fuller to see if she would like to chat with us. Great, Lucy. The topic of how fish see lures is important. I'm sure we'll be talking about a lot in the coming months and years. And I'll drop a link to the app in the show notes. I was just reading an article on the Wired 2 Fish website titled, Three Big Time Advantages of Buying Fishing Tackle in Bulk. The article was by Shea Baker. Buying lures in bulk, baby. Shay gives some good examples of the money you can save by buying lures in bulk. Hey, I have a good reason to buy in bulk. Say you buy 10 lures from your local tackle shop and take them home. If you'd bought 100 lures, you'd have 90 more than 10. John, that's not a reason to buy in bulk. All you are saying is that 100 is 90 more than 10. Lucy, I don't think you're following John's reasoning. Let me say it another way. You go to the Bass Pro Shops and visit the crankbait section. There are 300 different crankbaits in the display. If you buy 20 of them, it means you didn't buy 280 crankbaits. So always buy all 300 lures. Tim, that's just what John said, except with different numbers. Totally different example, Lucy. John was shopping at a local tackle shop, and I was in the Bass Pro Shops. It's the exact same thing. Lucy, let me say it slower so you can understand. Now, let's say I go to the Bass Pro Shop this time and visit the Z-Man Elastec soft bait section. There are 300 different packages of Z-Man baits in the display. Now, if you buy 20 of them, it means that you didn't buy the other 280 Z-Man packs. So always just go ahead and buy all 300 packs. That was Tim's identical argument, except you substituted Z-Man baits for crankbaits. 
Well, sure I did, because the principle we're trying to explain to you is universal, regardless of the type of lure. I thought supercomputers were supposed to be better at math. I am good at math. I'm the best at math. There is no computer or human better than me at math. Okay. I'm really going to slow this down for you, Lucy. Say I go online to the Tackle Warehouse website. I look around for a while and settle on the page full of glide baits of all colors and sizes. There are 300 different glide baits on the screen. If you buy 20 of them, it means you didn't buy 280 glide baits. So always buy all 300 glide baits. What if there's no price discount for buying 300 at once? Price has nothing to do with it, Lucy. We are talking about quantity. The biggest quantity, vast quantities of fishing lures. So, if I am hearing you two correctly, I can summarize your philosophy of buying lures in bulk as, why buy one lure, when you can buy 103? By George, I think she's got it. Excellent, Lucy. But that assumes there are only 103 lures. And if there are 300 lures, go for it. I'm surprised neither of you have mentioned Al Capone as part of St. Valentine's Day, especially since he had ties to a very special fishing lure. Ooh, what do you mean? Tell us the story. Al Capone was responsible for the St. Valentine's Day massacre, in which seven gang rivals were murdered in broad daylight, damaging the public image of Chicago and Capone, and leading influential citizens to demand government action, and newspapers to dub Capone as public enemy number one. Well, now you've brought down our entire Valentine's love vibe. Sorry, Tim. But it has a lore connection that is too important to omit. Okay, then. Continue. Capone was widely assumed to have been responsible for ordering the 1929 St. Valentine's Day Massacre, despite being at his Florida home at the time of the massacre. The massacre was an attempt to eliminate Bugs Moran, head of the North Side Gang, and the motivation for the plan may have been the fact that some expensive whiskey legally imported from Canada via the Detroit River had been hijacked while it was being transported to Cook County, Illinois. Okay, okay, what happened next? To monitor their target's habits and movements, Capone's men rented an apartment across from the trucking warehouse at 2122 North Clark Street, which served as Moran's headquarters. On the morning of Thursday, February 14, 1929, Valentine's Day, Capone's had four gunmen disguised as police officers initiate a fake police raid. The fake police killed seven people but Moran was not among the victims. Photos of the slain victim shocked the public and damaged Capone's image. Capone was sent to Atlanta U.S. Penitentiary in May 1932, at age 33, and then moved to the Alcatraz prison. Due to his good behavior, Capone was permitted to play banjo in the Alcatraz prison band, the Rock Islanders, which gave regular Sunday concerts for other inmates. Okay, so a very bad man got some of what he had coming. Is there a lure justice angle here? Lucy, why, why are you telling us this story? Hang in there, John. The good part is coming. I recently read a Facebook post by Dan Zemke, who is a member of the National Fishing Lore Collectors Club. I'll drop a link to their website and Facebook page in the show notes. What is missing in the history books is that Al Capone often had to hide out and he spent a lot of time in the north woods of Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Michigan. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Don Preston was a young man and angler, who worked at the Shakespeare Lore Factory in Kalamazoo, Michigan. 
Capone had met Preston, and they often fished together on local Michigan lakes. Capone referred to Preston as, the kid, which his co-workers teased him about by calling Preston, the Capone kid. Whoa, this is getting very interesting. Shakespeare made a line of lures called the kazoo, including the kazoo minnow and the bahiki kazoo. And Al Capone fished with the kazoo? While he probably did, we don't know for sure. But we do know that Al Capone was known for hosting parties and fishing adventures at his Palm Beach, Florida estate. The estate was guarded by Capone's men, and as the story goes, anyone who came to a party was required to bring a present for Capone. Dan Zemke, who shared the story on Facebook, owns a pikey kazoo that was stenciled on the top with the words, Dan Preston, the Capone kid. The lure was going to be a present for Al Capone at one of his parties. However, the trial convicting Capone for tax evasion came first, and Capone went to prison. The lure created by Preston was abandoned in the factory. The lure was retrieved from factory archives by Don Culp, a senior Shakespeare employee. It was later purchased by prior factory worker and collector, Walt Blue. It now belongs to a Minnesota collector, Dan Zemke. Wow, that is an unbelievable story. I just love it. Lucy, it's so fantastic to have you scouring the internet for great stories like that one. That was a great way to wrap up this special Valentine's Day episode. Lucy, you started us out with St. Valentine being beheaded and ended with Al Capone and the St. Valentine's Day massacre. It certainly has been an interesting episode. Not at all what we planned, but interesting nonetheless. Oh, and guys, don't forget to put a bouquet of a dozen lures with heart-shaped lips into a minnow bucket and give it to your wives. It's the perfect way to say, I love you. Oh, we're on it, Lucy. But right now, we want to give thanks to all the listeners for coming in for some ear time with us. Hit that like, smash that follow, and share us out on your socials. But most of all, talk us up to your friends or any fishing fanatic you happen to be associated with. I hope everyone has a lovely Valentine's. It's a special day for couples to be sure, but everyone can find a way to get in on it because it's about love. Express that love with some lure love because why buy one lure when you can buy 103? Lure love, you've been on my mind. Never enough lures to tie to the end of my line. Lure love, can't I make you see? Why buy five lures when you can buy